Good morning. Welcome to Wendover Hills. Um, today we're going to finish up our uh, three-week series that we, we titled um, God at Work. And uh, many times we, we wonder, is that true? Uh, we, we tend to ask ourselves the question, is God really at work in my life? Is, uh, does he even care what's going on in my life right now in the current circumstances? And the answer to that is, well, let's find out what the Bible says. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're God's workmanship. Uh, before architects uh, design any building, they first ask, what will its purpose be, and how will it be used? Because the intended function always determines the form of the building. So before God created you, he had what ministry you would be doing in mind. And he shaped you according to that ministry. And God has plans for you. And God is continually working in your life, but a lot of times we don't see it. But God has created you an original masterpiece. He's created you for a specific purpose, for a point in this life. In this series, we've um, camped out in the book of Ruth to look at God at work in the life of three individuals. We looked at Naomi's life, we looked at Ruth and her life, and now we're going to look at Boaz, okay? And um, in each of these individuals, if, if they could ask God one question, what would it be? And we kind of tackled these questions here. For Naomi, it was, what now, God? For Ruth, it was, why me, God? And for Boaz today, what we're going to look at is, what's next, God? What's next, God? If you've ever asked that question... That's a dangerous question, isn't it? It's a dangerously good question, but it's a dangerous question. What's next, God? What do you want? What do you want from me? What else is there? Um, often with this question results in personal sacrifice. And, um, and one, one of the uh, sports that I played growing up was the sport of baseball. And one of the worst signals I've ever received from my coach is the signal to do a sacrifice bunt. I never enjoyed it because I was horrible at it. I was more of a base hitter, but any time he wanted me to do a sacrifice bunt, you had to do it, right? And if you don't know what a sacrifice bunt is, you're basically laying the bat forward to draw enough contact with the ball so that it will just go just a little bit of a distance in order to, the purpose is to advance the, the runners around the bases. And the sacrifice comes in to where you're possibly going to be thrown out to be able to advance the runners. And you can always tell who the team players are versus those who have their own agenda. There are some that will get up to bat and say, forget what the coach just informed me to do. I'm swinging for the fence. I'm going for the home run. It's all about me, baby, right? And then there's other team players that say, even though I could easily just knock it out of the park, I'm going to do what the coach has told me to do. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to sacrifice the bunt, possibly me getting out at first base in order to help our team in that situation. And we're going to look at Boaz today. And Boaz was a team player. He was a team player. He was advancing the kingdom of God through personal sacrifice. But what was he sacrificing? Uh, I like what Amy just said here in her prayer. Sacrifice, what we think of sacrifice. But for the sake of the word, let's just roll with it here, this word sacrifice. What was he sacrificing? Um, 
it's often four areas that we have trouble giving over to the Lord that we're going to look at today. And this is what he sacrificed, his social status, all right, his time, his resources, and his plans. Four areas in our life where I think most of us have trouble giving over to the Lord. Before we launch into the book of Ruth, uh, let's kind of get a little profile of Boaz, all right? If there were ever a show where a, a single guy came on the show and girls were after him, I don't know, maybe if it was ever called The Bachelor. If there was ever a show created to be like that, Boaz would be like the perfect candidate for the show, all right? He would be the man for it. He was a single guy. He was a wealthy landowner and very well-respected amongst the people there in Bethlehem, Judah. Well, he was also an obedient, uh, obedient man of God. Um, he was a humble man. And if there are a couple verses to describe Boaz, it would be in Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Some of you need to hear that today with your jobs, didn't you? <laughs> like, oh, why'd you have to bring up that verse? That's a great verse. Um, but Boaz, if that, were to, that would describe Boaz right there. Um, he loved what he did. He did it for the Lord. He did it with the right motives, with pure motives, and for the right reasons. Um, but, but that was the kind of man he was. He was an obedient man. He was a humble man. Um, and not only was he uh, wealthy, but he was well-respected. Life was great for him at this time. And he also had something that we all want and all need, and that is the favor of God. As I've searched the scriptures and I've, and I've looked at uh, uh, what it means to have the favor of God, I've kind of come up with this, this, this um, definition here. Describe it as acceptance with special privileges. Acceptance with special privileges. Noah had it. You remember? God was about to wipe out all mankind. But then it says, what, what does it say about Noah? And I think it's uh, chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Noah found favor with God. He found favor with God. Um, Mary had it. You know, Mary was highly favored to be able to um, um, give birth to the Son of God. I mean, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? Um, Joseph had it. You remember Joseph that even though life didn't look too great um, on the outset here of seeing he was sold into slavery by his brothers, betrayed, and put into prison for something he didn't even do. And yet the whole time it says God was with Joseph. Joseph had the favor of God. All right? Acceptance with special privileges. Do you have it? Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 3 through 4, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. What about Psalm 84, 11? For the, Lord, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now what happens when God withdraws his favor? We've seen this. Um, time and time again with the Israelites in the Old Testament. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your vile images and detestable practices, I myself will withdraw my favor. I will not look on you with pity or spare you. Oh, 
that's not good, is it? But then when Jesus Christ, when God sent his son Jesus Christ in this, in this, in this world to be a sacrifice for us, we see that if you are in Jesus Christ, if Christ is in you, you're walking around with the favor of God, you may not even know it. That there is acceptance with special privileges when you are a child of God. And it's an incredible place to be. So before we head over to, uh, well, let's go ahead and head over to the book of Ruth here, if, if you haven't already turned there. It's an Old Testament after the book of Judges. We're going to look at these four areas of sacrifice that, um, that Boaz encountered here and that we, as well, may understand where God may be working in your life in these areas right now. Four areas of sacrifice. We're going to look at the first one, and that is social status. Remember, Boaz is asking the question, what's next, God, right? Life is good. He's obedient to God. He's honoring God. He's asking that question, what's next, God? Well, God is still at work in his life. And we see the first one that we come across is the social status. Now, now notice up to this point, we are, uh, we've talked about uh, the story of Ruth and, um, and how she followed her mother-in-law even after she lost her husband and left her country, the country of Moab, to be uh, with Naomi, her mother-in-law, to serve her God, which is the only God, our God, our Father, and as she went to this, she, she, was, she was stepping out in faith, and she was going to live a new life, to live for God, live with Naomi and live um, to do whatever God had called her to do. And so during this time, you understand, she's a widow at this point, all right? And she um, needs work. She's jobless. She's with Naomi. She's living with Naomi. So she decides that I'm going to go glean in the fields um, um, and whoever will let me glean in their fields, whatever wealthy landowner is out there, right? And to glean in the fields as a widow, as a as a uh, orphan or or a, a foreigner, um, it would be those that would just be able to pick up the leftovers. I mean, to glean to pick up the leftovers uh, um, as they're harvesting during that time. So they'd pick up the the leftover grain and be able to feed themselves. Okay, it was something that God had instituted in the Old Testament law back in the day. And so uh, to be able to take care of those who are poor in the land. And uh, Ruth was one of those people. So here this poor widow is gleaning in the fields. And guess whose field she's gleaning in? Of course, Boaz. We see that God is at work in here. And so as she's gleaning in this field all day long, she catches the eye of the workers because she is a hard worker herself. She's putting in the, the time, the effort, the sweat. While everyone else is taking a break, she's, she, she may be taking a five-minute break and then go right back to work. All day long, she's gleaning. And Boaz comes on the scene. Now, this is just great. Now, I, I laugh at this every time I read it because I just think, I, I just, and just picture this. I mean, I don't know. Here, let, let's go through it here. Um, Boaz enters the scene in, let's say, verse... Um, Verse 4 in chapter 2, okay? Ruth chapter 2, verse 4. Just then, so here's where we pick up, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, all right? <laughs> and then they, the Lord bless you, they called back, right? I mean, it's just like, oh, here comes Boaz. The music is playing. It's, you know, 
the Lord bless you, the Lord be with you, and they're just, you know, oh, you know, just a just amazing utopia place. I mean, it's just like, and so uh, he comes on the scene, but, but all of a sudden then, he, something catches his eye, and, um, and he says, whose woman is that, right? Now, he's not thinking right now, wifey, all right? He's not thinking, okay, I want to date her or anything else. He's just like, whose woman is that? Maybe her, uh, the attraction caught her eye, caught his eye. Maybe it was just the, the work ethic, whatever it may have been. He asked his foreman, what's going on here? Who's this woman? Or maybe this is somebody that he has not seen gleaning in his fields yet. And, of course, the foreman uh, uh, talks about uh, her work ethic, lets him know a little bit about her story, and he's intrigued. And so in verse 8, here's where we pick up here, Boaz said to Ruth, so he comes up to her personally, which is pretty amazing in itself, right? I mean, why even deal with somebody that's such of a poor status in the first place? But he goes up to her in verse 8. He says, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Now that's going beyond the call of what you were to do for those that were poor in the land. He's going to go get a drink from what the waters where the men have filled. That's going beyond and above what uh, uh, normally you would how you would treat someone like that. And then at this she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she exclaimed, "Why have I found such?" favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner. Remember we talked about favor, acceptance with special privileges. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you've left your father and mother in your homeland and have come to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have, been given, you, have, you have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. And here's what's, and here's what's awesome. So after that whole scene there, they're about to sit down for dinner time, right? And it says that mealtime, verse 14, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down from, uh, with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Here's the first sacrifice, social status. Can you imagine the harvesters, his team of people, as they're sitting down at this meal, right? It's almost like a picture, um, like in high school, and you know how you've got the different cliques and people everywhere you got the you got the, the the athletes over here the popular people over here um the the people that wear black over here right and then you got you got the people over here that um um are, are kind of like the the losers right i mean i mean that's what people, everyone you know kids are so harsh <laughs> i know none of you are in here that's great um, and that's why you're see we've got good kids in here this is good but it's like one of those scenes that you kind of see in a movie here, where, right? Like when the popular kid comes and sits by the, the, the dorky kid, right? And, and, and there's this amazing thing that happens and takes place that everyone sees like, 
wow, they're really accepting this person. That's like huge. This person's like leveraging their, their influence um, for um, an awesome cause here. And so we see Boaz. He's like, come over here, Ruth. You know, get on over here. Dip some bread in my vinegar. All right? That, sound, that sounds like a pickup line. It's not, I promise. Uh, I did not. I, that just came out. I'm sorry. I don't know if that was Holy Spirit-led or not. Anyway, so we see that the acceptance, I mean, he was really risking it, right? I mean, he was so well-respected throughout the land, and here he is, this wealthy landowner. It's almost like that show. Have you ever seen uh, Undercover Boss? Uh, it's, it's a new show, and it's kind of like when the, the it's kind of neat because it's a reality show that the CEO of a, of a large company goes to, like, the very um, most basic part of the, of the work, uh, wherever it may have been, like, for I think the first one, the, one the, the, the only show I saw was the, uh, the, the guy that had um, the waste management. Yeah, and he came and he worked at the, at, on the line there with, with some of the people and then picking up some trash and things like that. And, you know, he was wearing the, the full outfit and things like that. And he was, he was connecting with the people. And it's almost like he almost forgot. It's like the point of it, he almost forgot what it was like to be in that position. And to be able to reconnect with people like that uh, and, and to, to put himself um, as one with them is pretty neat. And so Boaz is just... Now, Boaz doesn't have any intentions at this point, as far as we know. He's not looking for uh, Mrs. Wright here. He's simply doing something that is just incredible. He is, he, is, he is risking his social status. How many of you, and I know you wouldn't admit this today, okay? I just know you wouldn't because we don't admit these things. Right, but let it just sink in your heart right now. How many of you struggle with social status? And what I mean by that is this: is that um, uh, somebody comes, maybe uh, uh, you're sitting at a restaurant. Somebody comes in that that you know of, that you've maybe seen on the streets. Somebody that you have uh, maybe had a conversation or two with, and they notice you, and they come running over you. Hey, how's it going? And you're sitting around with all your friends. Do you kind of shy away, like, oh, like, don't even talk to me right now? Do you see where I'm sitting with my? Have you ever been in that position, or whatever it may have been? And maybe it's even at church, and you're like, you got this group of friends, and then you got this other person who's maybe met you a couple times. You're like, I don't know. I, I you know, <laughs> I'm still talking with my friends here. The social status. Can you sacrifice the social status? Because the thing is this, we can never get too big for God. Every single person was created in God's image, whether you like it or not. And if you look at that person and cannot accept them, then that's a big issue. I love the story here in the book of Ruth where Boaz is like the CEO. And here's this poor widow of a woman. And there's a connection. He goes over there and shows his favor upon her. It's pretty amazing. So then the next thing we see here is that um, Boaz sacrifices his time. Verse 15, we see... As she got up to glean, Boaz, this is after the meal here, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some socks for her from the bundles and leave them there for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Okay? 
So he gives, he takes his time to give specific instructions. Not only was it good enough that he fed her, right, uh, or that he even let her eat some of the best of the best food, but now he's saying, he meets with his men, and he says, here's some specific instructions for Ruth, all right? Leave some more behind. Let her pick up more than, uh, than what she normally picks up. And, and so he, 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 he sacrifices some of his time there. God may be asking you, even though we're, I mean, time is precious to us, most of us, right? I mean, it's like time is precious. I only got this amount of time to do this and this and this. But there may be moments where God is saying, listen, take time out of your time to do this thing here. Because this is important. This is all part of me working in your life. Be aware of those moments where the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to be able to take the time to help someone else out. So it sacrifices time. Now, this is the neat thing here, then going on verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Boy, she's been going all day, hadn't she? Then she threshed the barley that had been gathered, gathered and it amounted to about an, an FF. Um, she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Now, um, from the stalk, she beat out the grain, you know, and, and, and this was a lot of grain. <laughs> this was quite, a, quite an unusual amount of grain because of the instructions that Boaz had given to his men. So she, she gathers about 30 pounds of this grain, right? I mean, a lot of grain. This is going to be enough to feed a family for weeks, okay? And it's an unusual amount of grain. And so this is the, the, the third thing that we see that Boaz sacrifices, and it's his resources, all right? He's not holding on too tightly uh, to his resources. He's not, he's not saying, this is all mine. We're going to, you know, he said, Let, let's uh, leave some more behind for her. Let's leave extra behind. How many of you struggle with holding on to maybe your finances too tightly? You like grip it like a vice grip. Like, I can't give a little... No, I will not, you know. And, and how many of you struggle with even maybe uh, even tithing in church? You know, something that, that, uh, that, that uh, has, has been such a, a huge part in, in the Bible of, of, of how we're to, to, to give 10% of what we earn in order to, to really um, bless others and to be able to give back what God has given to us. I mean, it's not our money anyway. I remember the first time I, I was uh, in one of my classes in my master's program the professor was doing an illustration and he's he's also a pastor but he took out a dollar bill and in front of us he tears it to shreds he's like do do just and we're our mouth are you know our mouths are dropped we're like is he really doing that he's like is this like some kind of magic trick? is he gonna like you know it's gonna be flipping back no he tears it to shreds and then he just throws it on the ground we watch it just kind of sprinkle to the ground there and we're like did he just do that that was a dollar bill, man. You know, <laughs> and that was just a dollar. That was just a dollar. You know what I'm saying? Just a dollar. Now, how tightly do we hold on to our resources, our money, our, our things in life, our stuff? Can't take it with us anyway, people. You need to be reminded of that today. Can't take your new sports card. Heaven, sorry. God's probably got something better for you there. All right? But the thing is this, is that Boaz sacrificed his resources, and then maybe that's something that God is speaking to you today as well. 
And then the last one, and here's one of the biggest ones, is that Boaz sacrifices his plans. And I'll give you an illustration before we get into that there. Uh, Howard Schultz, I don't know if you know who he is, but he joined Starbucks, the, the uh, company of Starbucks, in 1982. He was the, the director of retail operations and marketing. Uh, he, he visited Italy at, at some point and came back from there convinced that not only did Starbucks need to sell their coffee beans, but they also need to sell espresso drinks as well. All right? Starbucks at that time was just selling their coffee beans. Well, the, uh, the big shots, the owners and everything else, they, they shot down the idea. They said, it'll never work. We need to stay focused on what we were all meant to do here. And it took nearly a year for Howard Schultz to convince Starbucks that they needed to do this in their 300-square-foot uh, building that they had with no chairs. And so as they implemented this idea after a year of trying to convince them, the first day they doubled the amount of customers that they had in their best, um, better than their best-selling store that they had already. And then we know the rest is history, right? But it took a change of plans, didn't it? What we thought was good, somebody else thought, <laughs> here's even better, right? Can you imagine Starbucks today if it never gone that route? You wouldn't be sitting in there enjoying your nice little espresso drink. It'd just be the coffee beans you'd be, you'd be smelling when you came in. All right? it, was a, it was a matter of change of plans. God, uh, we, well, many times we look at our, at, our, at our life and say, hey, it's good right now. Life is good. But God's like, huh, hello. I've got plans that are even better. Tap into those plans. Look at what I'm doing in your life. Um, I came across this verse. I'm going to make sure I, I got that right. Proverbs 19.21. It's pretty sweet here. Proverbs 19.21 says this. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Keep that in mind, all right? We know what's good, but God knows what's best. And so in this story here, um, Boaz, uh, now, now we're, we're starting to see that, uh, that through a series of events, Ruth decides to, to pursue this, all right, with the help of Naomi, to pursue this to ask um, Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer, okay? In the Old Testament, the word kinsman is often um, used as a translation of a Hebrew word that means one who has the right to redeem, okay? This person is a near relative um, that had the first option to buy any land being sold and allowing it to be kept within the clan, within the family. And this also included marrying the widow of the deceased kinsman, okay? And Malan was a kinsman of, of Boaz, all right? So you got to understand that. So Boaz and, and, and Malan, who was Ruth's deceased husband, um, were relatives, and so Boaz, even though he wasn't next in line, he was the next after the next guy in line, all right? So he had the opportunity to redeem her, meaning to marry her, to also own the land uh, um, from, from what uh, uh, Malin had, had owned before. And uh, so this was all in the mix here. And she basically, through, through a series of events here, is asking, which is so bold, but she's asking him 
basically to marry him, marry her, right? We see that in verse 9 of chapter 3, where she says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. And this is huge. I mean, this is a huge change of plans, don't you think? I mean, here's Mr. Bachelor, all right? And he's got everything going for him. And here comes this, this widow, this, this widow that is poor, but she's got a hard work ethic, and we don't know what her looks were like, but maybe he was attracted to her. I'm assuming he is, because he's a guy. And uh, so anyway, some of you caught that right there. So anyway, here's all this going on in his life. Here's this girl that comes in into, into the picture. Will he take her hand? Will he marry this girl? Will he redeem her? Will he be the kinsman redeemer? And it says in verse 11, and it says, And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. He decided to go for it. He decided maybe his plans weren't the greatest. Maybe he decided to go the route that God had been leading him toward. And uh, what's neat about this whole idea of kinsman redeemer, the, the one who has the right to redeem, is, is closely paralleled to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because there's only one who ever walked this earth that has the right to redeem us. Because he lived a perfect life. Because he sacrificed himself on the cross for us. Because we were dead in our sins. Jesus has set us free from the power of our sins for what he did on the cross and being raised again to life. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one, the only one who has the right to redeem. And what a beautiful picture of how it shows Boaz in this, how he's unleashing his favor upon Ruth and how God does the same for us. Acceptance with special privileges if you are a child of God. Pretty incredible. So verse 18 is one verse here that I think is a great verse because Naomi, who is the mother-in-law of Ruth, um, um, as, as this whole thing is going down here, he has to, he has to do some, um, some talking with the guy that was next in line to be the kinsman redeemer. And so through um, the series of events there, um, Naomi says to Ruth on that day here, wait, my daughter, verse 18 of chapter 3, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled tomorrow. No, 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 next week. No, until the matter is settled today. I think what we can learn from this is that we all need to be able to use God's favor to make something happen today. In other words, use what God has blessed you with in order to bless someone else today. And what does that look like? F.B. Meyer once said, Don't waste your time waiting and longing for large opportunities which may never come, but faithfully handle the little things that are always claiming your attention. So here's two takeaway questions for today. Number one is, where do I stand in light of God's favor? All right. Am I in God's favor? Right. Do you know that you are a child of God? Do you know that you're accepted by Jesus Christ? Do you have the favor of God upon your life? And number two, how can I use that favor to make something happen today? How can I use what God has given me? Maybe God has blessed you with finances. Maybe you make quite a bit of money. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. That just means God has blessed you with, with some money that you could be a blessing to someone else. So maybe it's something that God is asking you to do to be able to help someone else financially and in need. 
Maybe God has blessed you with some intelligence, right? I know all of you are intelligent here, but some of you are more intelligent than the others, right? And maybe it's, 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 it's to the point where you, maybe you would be great at just tutoring a student. You know, maybe you could, you could help someone else that, that, uh, that needs help in, in, in math or, or history or, or whatever may be out there, you know, in English or whatever it may uh, be of help. Maybe God has blessed you athletically. Maybe you could help teach a sports camp. Maybe God has blessed you with a position of influence. Maybe you can help someone get a job who's been overlooked. Maybe God has blessed you with something. <laughs> he has, hasn't he? He has blessed you with two legs. You can walk. Do something. Do something to bless someone else with because God has poured out his favor on you. Pour out your favor on someone else today. Think of someone today. Think of when you go out to the restaurant. Pour out your favor on the, on the waitress or the waiter. You know, your kids, whoever it may be, just pour out your favor upon them. Use God's favor to make something happen today. Uh, one of the organizations that uh, I love what, what they're doing and always in times of need is, is a Samaritan's Purse. It's Franklin Graham's um, organization there. And uh, it's been neat to see how they responded to this uh, whole um, Haiti tragedy. And, and I, I noticed what they've been doing lately. Something so simple. It's like, well, why didn't we think of that? You know, kind of thing. So simple, but so impactful. Um, they're building 12 by, f- by 12 shelters that will be able to temporarily house a family of up to 10 people. I mean, these aren't like, I mean, they're, they're not like uh, something fancy, right? But they are like 12 by 12 shelters because people need that out there. Everything is just crumbled. It's a mess. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's like a nightmare out there. And he- here they are. They're just taking what they have, and they're doing that. And even for... Um, even for those that donate more money, they're able to install water systems that be able to provide clean um, drinking water for them. I mean, things that we normally take for granted, shelter, water, here they're doing, they're just build these 12 by 12 things. Think about what you can do in your life, all right? And it doesn't have to mean you have to go overseas somewhere. It doesn't mean that maybe you may not even have the money to, to, um, to give out to something like that. But the thing is this, that you can do something. You can do something that can help someone else. And so we want to see how, uh, we want to remember that, that God is always working in us because we're, we're his workmanship, as we talked about in Ephesians 2.10 there. And as he's working in us, what can we do to help further what he has blessed us with? What can we help that, uh, what can we do that, that God has been working in us to be able to work into someone else's life? And so that is the story um, of Boaz in this, in this book of Ruth here. And as this kinsman redeemer, as he decided that he would sacrifice his social status, his time, his resources, and his plans. Uh, What a great example to be set for us today. And maybe God is working in one of those areas in your life. Maybe that's something you need to give over to him. And so we're going to go into a time of prayer at this time. I'm going to ask the worship band to come forward. And um, if God has really been dealing with you today, um, just know that uh, we are a church that, that is always going to leave the altars open. Um, come forward if, if you just feel like the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart today and you really need to give something over to Him today. Um, come forward, just worship Him, you know. If you want people to come surround you, we'll surround you. We'll pray for you. Um, I'll pray for you. There's some things we need to let go of, 
right? Uh, none of us are perfect in here. All right? I don't think any of us have, have got everything down in this word, right? Because uh, if, if you did, let me know. Let me know. But if you haven't, um, allow God to deal with some things in your heart this morning, whatever it may be. Okay? Just allow yourself to listen to the Holy Spirit. If you guys would um, join me in prayer at this time, Just close your eyes. Father God, we uh, are so grateful that uh, we can even be called children of God. Uh, what an honor, what an honor, what a privilege it is, Lord. What an amazing responsibility it is as well. And I pray, Father, if, if someone hasn't experienced that yet today either, that they only know they're in the favor of God, if they only know they're a child of God, that they'd be able to do so today, to be able to say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I am a sinner. I am in need of some, of some desperate grace. I'm in need of a Savior. I'm in need of someone that is perfect to be able to take away these, these to, to be able to take away the sins that I've, I've committed in my life, to make me whole and pure again, to make me holy to, to help me to be able to live for you. I pray, Father, that, uh, that if that's someone in here today, Lord, that they haven't given themselves, they haven't surrendered themselves fully to you, Lord Jesus, that we know that this is not just some kind of act of religion, but rather this is a lifelong, an eternity-long relationship that is so incredible in the way that you transform us into, into people that we never thought possible. Lord, you're continually working in us. You've said it in your word. You're at work in unexpected times. You're, you're at work in un, um, uncertain times. And you're at work at great times. You're at work at all times, Lord. There's many times we just don't even see you at work, but you're working in us. And thank goodness you are. Thank goodness you didn't leave us the way that we are so that we could be what you're calling us to be, that we'd be light and salt in this world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. I pray, Father God, for, um, for all of us, Lord, that, uh, that we, whatever it is that you're dealing with us right now in this moment, I know you're bringing to mind whatever it is that we'd be able to let go of it, that we'd be allowed, allow you to be able to work in that area, to submit to you, 100% and to allow you to make us to who you want us to be Lord because you know you know what plans are best and uh, that's the most fulfilling life there is apart from you we are nothing with you we have everything and we love you Jesus in your name we pray Amen